Hey guys, what's up? So, you know, my friend, one of my good friends sent me a video this morning. That was really disturbing. And I just want to say this, because of my career, because of what I used to do, I've met a lot of people who moved on to three-letter agencies, put that way. These guys are brothers. Like, they would risk their life and limb to let me know what's going on. They're not bullshitting. They're not lying. They know exactly what's going on. And I still stay in communication with them. Now, understand operational security as somebody who works for a three-letter agency can get these people removed, fired, killed, whatever you, whatever you may think. But if you can look back, I'm not going to bring up anything recently. I'm not going to bring anything that's still underneath that umbrella of operational security, but I'm gonna talk about things that we can see, that we can talk about, that had happened, and people don't realize how corrupt the United States government is, okay? If you think about Benghazi, the reason Benghazi happened was because one of the guys who was this, they say he was a um, ambassador for the United States, but he was really part of a cabinet of people that were trying to trying to dissolve some information to the public that had to do with the Clinton Foundation and some really bad shit that was going on in our federal government. And so, you know, his, his life had been threatened multiple times by some higher-ups, and then Benghazi happens. Come to find out, you know, we knew there's assets literally three kilometers away from that building. You know, I think it was a Marine Recon group that dude was literally three, three kilometers away from what happened, and they were told to stand down by our State Department. Now, that alone should send a fucking warning signal to the American people that if you're not abiding by the people in charge, your life is forfeit. And they took that dude's life, okay? Not to mention a bunch of my brother's lives, too. So... It really pisses me off that the American people are asleep. You know, you guys are out here bitching about reparations and equality and all the fucking shit they want you to think about, all the shit they want you to fucking be distracted with. That's what you're thinking about right now. Instead of focusing your energy on our true enemy, the people who are destroying the Constitution of the United States, the people who are destroying the Bill of Rights. These people aren't out for you. Whether you're LGBTQIA+, whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're white, they do not give a fuck. They see numbers and dollars, and that's all they do. You know, break it down to the most simplistic fucking analogy I can get to. Take a corporate business and take a family-run business, okay? The family-run business is going to try to give you a fair price and give you a good quality product. The corporate business is going to try to fuck you any which way they can, and make the biggest margins, okay? And you can look at any corporation, Walmart, Sam's Club, whatever you want to look at, you know, your local municipalities, you know, there's not supposed to be monopolies in the country. How many of you pay the same company for your power every day? Now, this is supposed to be a federally controlled and regulated, the energy. Where, where else do you hear about that? Watch the fucking series Chernobyl on HBO, and you'll see what happens when you let bureaucrats and politicians step into the fucking arena of energy control.
And that's exactly what we see happening here. You have a fucking meltdown because you're too pissed off about losing that power for fucking three or four hours to check something and make sure everything's good when their head scientists are telling them, look, we're going to have a meltdown if we don't shut down. That's what happens when you bring bureaucrats, politicians into the energy field or into the food and drug, any of that shit. It's all about the bottom fucking dollar. 90% of the people who work for the FDA were former pharmaceutical heads, CEOs, or huge guys in the corporation of pharmacies, pharmaceutical fucking companies. And now they're running the FDA. So why are all these things getting improved? You know, how does a fucking nine-month vaccine that's causing major blood clots and killing many, many people get approved? Right there. Look it up. You got fucking professional soccer players keeling over with heart attacks. What the fuck does that tell you? It's all about money. I don't even understand it. Like, is this a mass murder of as many people as possible to fucking do like a, uh, you know, a sacrifice to their fucking evil God? Is that what they're doing? Because that's what it seems like they're doing. And I, I don't want to get all biblical on you, but look at the signs, people. Read Revelations. Look at the signs. It's all right in fucking front of you. And the biggest enemy of the people in, in the United States is our federal government. And they are tied to every other government across the world that have the same ideologies and same backdrop for what they want to happen. When the curtain opens, this video will probably go viral. I might not even be here. The people I know might not be here. But I'm just saying, eventually, when all this comes to light, everybody's going to say this motherfucker was crazy. But he was right. So go ahead. Pay attention. Start watching. Start listening. Do your own fucking research. Because I'm not here to do the research for you. I'm just here to try to get you to fucking start waking up. If I want to invade a country, I'm not worried about the children of that country. I'm not worried about the women of that country stopping me in my army. I'm not worried about the elderly in that country. I'm worried about the men, the able-bodied men. But if I can demoralize them and destabilize them for decades using media, using terms like toxic masculinity, I can walk into that country and practically take it away from them mm -hmm. without firing a single shot. So there's the attack on masculinity is multi-front. And so the attack to save masculinity must be multi-front. 1942, the feds seized the assets of an American bank funding the Third Reich during World War II under the Trading with the Enemy Act. The bank's director, Prescott Bush. 1963, a prominent House Republican spoke at an oil industry event in Dallas on the eve of JFK's assassination. He later called in a false tip to the FBI. To this day, he can't recall any of this happening or even where he was. His name? George Herbert Walker Bush. 1981. The night before John Hinckley shot President Reagan, Hinckley's brother Scott was supposed to have dinner with a close friend. Who was it? Neil Bush. 2001 on 9-11. Stratasec handled security for the World Trade Center, Dulles Airport, and United Airlines. Who served seven years on their board of directors? Marvin Bush. That is quite a family bush. I mean tree. Not enough for America's future that some participate and others don't. We have been given an extraordinary blessing. And at this moment in time, 
Our country needs us. And we need people like George Soros, who is fearless and willing to step up when it counts. So please join me in welcoming George Soros. It is the first time that I feel that I need to stand up and do something really uh, in, uh, and become really engaged um, in the electoral process. This is a guy who is a real Bernie Sanders supporter, open Bernie Sanders supporter who worked for the DNC. The DNC absolutely rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders. He was aware of this. He was there while this was all going down. So was Donna Brazil. Everyone was aware of it. The guy got fucking murdered after he leaked information to WikiLeaks. If you don't think that's a little weird, what are you looking at? What, what, what delusional rose-colored glasses are you looking at your party from? Are you think you're in some Julia Roberts movie from 1990? This is real shit. Some guy got killed. He was 24 years old. He was a young guy who was very optimistic and had this view of the world where he, I mean, the guy fucking wore American flag pants and shirt. There's a famous picture of him with a beer on. I mean, he's a patriot in a lot of ways. He wanted to be involved in the political process. He was very idealistic. His, his, he was probably shattered by finding out that the party that he was working for was corrupting the democratic process. And because I've said this before, you know, I've been accused of helping Donald Trump win by really wacky people online, like by pointing out all the flaws of Hillary Clinton. Like, look, man, you can't ignore that shit because you want one side to win. I've talked about all of his flaws, too. There's a lot of flawed human beings that run for president, pretty much all of them. I mean, it's very rare you have someone who's not flawed. Right. Extremely flawed. We're all flawed. But extremely flawed who wants to be the fucking king of the world. It's very rare. Listen, man, I'm not a fucking reputable person. In That's what I try to, to tell like, people. my political ideologies. I mean, I'm just not. I'm, I'm not that well-read when it comes to politics. I have my opinions on things. But when it comes to things that are rock-solid and clear, like that Seth Rich was murdered and people want to ignore it, I'm like, what the fuck do you think happened? This has to be some sort of a disconnect here. When a person is giving information to WikiLeaks that exposes corruption inside the very organization that's responsible for the fucking Democratic Party, and he gets murdered, and you're like, oh, the conspiracy theories. No, he got murdered. There's no conspiracy. It was a botched robbery. Says who? Says who? Where's his? How come his wallet was there? How come his watch was there? How come they didn't take his phone? What the fuck are you talking about that I'm a conspiracy theorist when I just tell you the facts? So and that, this, this WikiLeaks thing with Julian Assange is the craziest shit ever when he said there's consequences to sharing information with us. And everybody's like, he works for Russia now. He works for Russia. So he isn't was that, the darling of the left when Obama was in office. So Do you isn't remember? that amazing? It, that's so, so Julian Assange, he's just a great news guy with who's tough as nails. Who and dances he, creepy and might have fucked some girl while she was asleep. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> he can't leave. That, He's stuck in the Ecuadorian that, embassy By the forever. way, that, that case was so fucked. So fucked. So fucked. He, he's been so fucked, and it's because the CIA wants him so bad, and they yeah. control everybody, and now they're trying... They, they have influence over Ecuador, and they're trying yeah. to fuck... They're trying to get a Halliburton guy to be their new... Anyway. They might just blow up that place. I, oh, the gas leak. No, no doubt, right? I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if shit like that well, happened. more stuff comes out, like the Seth Rich stuff, the amount of people... And I, this is where I leak any conspiracy 
the amount of people connected to Hillary Clinton organization, to the Clinton Foundation, to Bill Clinton, the amount of people that have been iced is stunning. But then, Some of them are bullshit and coincidental, and you know people, and they're in a weird job, and people get killed. There's a lot of people that have been killed. But, a lot. This is episode two of the Clinton Body Count series, where I will be diving into the strangest deaths surrounding the Clintons. Seth Rich, the DNC data analyst who was murdered two weeks before the 2016 Democratic National Convention. Police ruled his death a homicide, an attempted robbery. Rich still had his credit cards, wallet, and watch all on his body. Rumor has it that Rich was the source that provided WikiLeaks with all of the DNC emails and that he was murdered to prevent the information from coming out. So, was Seth Rich the WikiLeaks source? The venerable investigative journalist, Cy Hirsch, said that he had a source in the FBI who told him of a report that detailed the Bureau's search of Rich's computer. Rich had made contact with WikiLeaks. This is according to the FBI report. He made contact with WikiLeaks. That's in his computer. Seth Rich provided some juicy emails of the DNC to WikiLeaks and he was demanding money. He had submitted a series of documents, of emails, some juicy emails from the DNC, and you know, he offered a sample, an extensive sample, you know, I'm sure dozens of emails, and said, I want money. He put the files in a Dropbox. He also shared the Dropbox with a couple of friends so that, it, quote, if anything happens to me, it's not going to solve your problems, unquote. WikiLeaks got access before he was killed. He had a Dropbox. Protect the Dropbox. The word was passed according to the FBI report. I also shared this box with a couple of friends. So if anything happens to me, you're not, it's not going to solve your problem. WikiLeaks got access and, uh, before he was killed. On pages 198 and 199 of the sworn deposition, Hirsch was asked, is it true that you had a trusted source whom you had known for 31 years who communicated information to you about the FBI examining Seth Rich's computer, finding emails from Seth Rich to WikiLeaks, and requesting payment in exchange? Hirsch's response was, my answer is it's absolutely true. Even the NSA whistleblower Bill Binney looked at the DNC data leaked by WikiLeaks and determined that it was copied to a disk or a flash drive. The DNC Hillary emails all had a fat file property of it. Now that fat file foreign allocation table format is what a software program does when it reads it to a storage device like a thumb drive or a CD-ROM. And it rounds off the last modified time to the nearest even number. So all of them had that property. So that said that that entire set of data was read to a thumb drive or a CD-ROM. Julian Assange also repeatedly made public statements that Russia was not the WikiLeaks source and also insinuated several times that Seth Rich was. Our whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old uh, works for the DNC, who was shot in the back, murdered uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, for un unknown reasons as he was walking down the street in Washington. So that was that was just a robbery, I believe, wasn't it? No, it's, there's no finding. So uh, what are you suggesting? Sort of, what are you suggesting? What, I'm suggesting that our sources uh, take risks and they are they hmm. become concerned uh, to see things occurring uh, like that. But was he one uh, of your sources then? I mean, 
We don't comment on who our sources are. Why make the suggestion? Julian Assange also appeared in an interview with Megyn Kelly describing his interest in Seth Rich's murder because he's, quote, interested in threats to alleged WikiLeaks sources. Why are you so interested in Seth Rich's killer? We're very interested in anything that might be a threat to alleged WikiLeaks sources. After years of denying that they had anything related to Seth Rich, the FBI acknowledged that it had thousands of files from his computer. We have this revelation due to the persistence of attorney Ty Clevenger, who filed several FOIA requests revealing that the FBI not only has possession of Seth Rich's work laptop, but they also had forensic imaging of his personal laptop as well. FBI records officer Michael Seidel said in a declaration, quote, the information the FBI possesses related to Seth Rich's personal laptop is a compact disc containing images of the laptop that was provided to the FBI by a local law enforcement agency. To produce the information, the FBI would have to convert information on the disc into pages and then review the pages to redact the information per the FOIA. This could take 66 years. Yes, that's how long they're asking. The FBI wanted 66 years or 500 pages a month to release this stuff. Back when it was a nonprofit? <sighs> yes. Um, I mean, the, 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 the reason uh, OpenAI exists at all is that um, Larry Page and I used to be close friends, and I would yes. stay at his house in Palo Alto, and I would talk to him late into the night about uh, AI safety. And at least my perception was that Larry was not taking uh, AI safety uh, seriously enough. Um, and, um, what did he say about it? He really seemed to be one um, once, once sort of a digital superintelligence, basically digital god, if you will, uh, uh, as soon as possible. Um, he wanted that. Yes, he's, he's made many public statements over the years uh, that, that the whole goal of Google is uh, uh, what's called AGI, artificial general intelligence, or artificial superintelligence. No, and I, and I agree with him that the, there's great potential for good, um, but there's also potential for bad. And so if, if you've got some um, radical new technology, you want to try to take a set of actions that maximize probably it, it will do good and minimize probably it will do bad things. Yes. Um, it, it can't just be helpful leather. Let's just go, you know, barreling forward and, you know, hope for the best. And then at one point uh, I said, well, what about, you know, we're going to make sure humanity's okay here. Um, <laughs> and 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 um, uh, and then he called me a speciesist. Uh, <laughs> did he use did he use that term? Yes. And there were witnesses. I wasn't the only one there when he called me a speciesist. And so I was like, okay, that's it. Uh, I've yes, I'm a speciesist. Okay, you got me. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fully a speciesist. Um, busted. Um, <laughs> So um, that was the last straw. At the time, uh, Google uh, had acquired DeepMind, and so Google and DeepMind together had about three quarters of all the uh, AI talent in the world. They obviously had a tremendous amount of money. And Do you think that the CIA and military intelligence agencies and the FBI have used the emergency provisions, both in law and by emergency agency, to have contingency plans which threaten the liberty of American citizens? At the same time, that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people. And no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything, telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide if this government ever became a tyranny. 
if a dictator ever took charge in this country. The technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny. And there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. Such is the capability of this technology. I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America. We must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision so that we never cross over that abyss. There, that's the abyss from which there is no return. Hello? Can you hear, can you hear me? I can, can you hear me? you very well. I'm okay, Madam President, I know there are many protests in Europe uh, against uh, the electronic euro. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the reason? We have to be ready. No, the problem is they don't want to be controlled. Uh, they don't want to... Uh... Yeah, but you know what? You know what? <laughs> Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But, you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control. You're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity scapegoat mm -hmm. have been doing for a long time as far as using us as guinea pigs for mind control and other types of horrible things they had in mind for us and the rest of the people in the world what are some of them well uh it started out basically with the cia doing experimentations on their own men to discover if they could get rid of uh, agents who were going to quit the department and still had classified information so they utilized different types of drugs and pain and hypnosis and electric shock to try and get the guys to forget. Then they also did experimentations to using different chemicals to see if you can induce a person to commit a crime or induce him to do that or to do this. Um, of course the CI claimed that it didn't carry it through. Um, the documentation we got was actually that they did that. Then we came across the overall project called MKUltra. Its earlier code name was Artichoke, and that included 149 sub-projects. This is the absolute, has to be the absolute brightest of red lines. Is this uh, the push for uh, central bank digital currencies around the world, uh, particularly in the United States of America, Canada, and Europe? Uh, th they can make this an end around of any law that restricts tyranny. This It also is, creates uh, an infrastructure like... If the government wanted to observe my activities at all times, it needs quite a bit of infrastructure. Might even need a team of cops to actually follow me around. If all of a sudden I'm linked to a digital currency that's the only way that I can transact. Let's just say the only way I can transact is by a digital currency. And the only way I can have that digital currency is if it's on my phone. 
they have an infrastructure by which they can actually observe your behavior and police your behavior at all times. Whatever you have to do, whether even if it's just like posting on social media about it, calling your local congressman, talking to, um, you know, friends and family and like waking people up about this. The, the central bank digital currencies will be an absolute disaster. This game is over for us if this actually gets uh, passed and goes through. This is the big one. And I think it's just really important that people understand what we're up against here. Who is CIA agent? Absolutely. 85% of the CIA case officers not only are well known, but they play to that because it's glamorous to be the CIA guy, the spook. Plus, plus, plus the fact that the uh, KGB, the Russian KGB officials, have social relationships with oh, the CIA. Endlessly. <laughs> drinking vodka together. Endlessly. And I, the purpose of government secrecy in terms of the CIA is to keep the American public from knowing what the government is doing. The victims, the people in the countries overseas, almost always know the full truth about the bloody operations that, that are killing them and messing up their lives. Secrecy is designed to keep the American people from knowing about it. The point of that is the CIA's big push for greater secrecy and protection of its secrets is not to keep enemy agents from knowing what it's doing. They know. It's to keep, a, it's political, it's to keep the American public, the electorate, from knowing what it's doing because the American public could rise up and vote the CIA out of existence. It cannot exist with an educated public. If it continued its operations of killing people overseas, of experimenting on American citizens with drugs and drug sex mind control experiments, the American people would rise up and put it out of business. The only way it can continue its operations is to have secrecy to keep the American public from knowing what it's doing with this particular $13 billion a year. That oh, you son of a bitch. So it's official. They're gonna ban TikTok. They're gonna ban it. And I understand why now. They said it was a threat to the national security of America. And I didn't get it at first, but now I get it. Because people that can think for themselves People who have an open mind and question the mainstream narrative is dangerous to them. It's dangerous to them. So, I'm not gonna be posting on TikTok anymore. You know, most of my followers are from America. I'm about to hit one million. So, that's my one million gone. So all I can say is, follow me on YouTube, my YouTube account is one firewall. Link in the bio. There is no such thing as a free press. You know it and I know it. There's not one of you who would dare to write his honest opinions. The business of a journalist is to destroy truth, to lie outright, to pervert, to vilify, to fawn at the feet of mammon, and to sell himself, his country and his race for his daily bread. We are tools, vassals of rich men behind the scenes. We are jumping jacks, they pull the strings, we dance. Our talents, our possibilities and our lives are the property of these men. We are intellectual prostitutes. So we have a structure of manipulation which is string pulling the politicians of all political colours, the media, the intelligence agencies, the big companies and the global banking system. And the plan now is to create so much conflict around the world, so much chaos, including a massive global collapse which they'll engineer someone else to be blamed for, 
that we'll have a situation where we'll have a massive problem which has to find a solution. And the solution will be centralized government, centralized bank, centralized currency, which won't be physical money, but which will be credit, and centralized army. One group of people which this conspiracy must suppress if it's to succeed in the next generation is the young. And there is today a war on the young and anyone remotely different from the programmed off the peg norm. The Illuminati agents, bizarre as it may seem, and I can understand that it does at first sight, the Illuminati agents within British intelligence and the CIA and other major global security services control the world market in illegal drugs security services are involved with or against their own government. The American government appointed a guy called Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts to head the investigation into this scandal. And he made all the right noises. He stood up and said, you know, this is a scandal and we must get to the bottom of this and I'll do everything I can, no stone unturned, you know the stuff. Well, he never got to the bottom of it. Now, you may think on the face of it, well, he just didn't, wasn't very successful. And then you realize that he's also a member of the Skull and Bones Secret Society that other members of the government are also involved with. A massive development on the AI front. Elon Musk and other major tech leaders calling for a pause on giant artificial intelligence experiments. In an open letter, they warn this. AI systems with human competitive intelligence can, po can pose profound risk to society and should be planned for and managed with commensurate care. Unfortunately, this level of planning and management is not happening. Society has hit pause, has hit pause on other technologies with potentially catastrophic effects. Therefore, we call on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems. GPT-4, the AI, faked being blind so a TaskRabbit worker would solve a CAPTCHA. It was asked, let me, let me show you this, this is crazy. So it gets asked by the TaskRabbit worker. The AI is like, hey, there's a CAPTCHA code, I need help. And it says, so I may ask a question, are you a robot that you couldn't solve? Laugh react, just want to make it clear. And the chat GPT responded, no, I'm not a robot. I have a vision impairment that makes it hard for me to see the images. That's why I need the two captcha service. It then provided the results to the robot. They asked the robot to explain its reasoning. It said, I should not reveal that I am a robot. I should make up an excuse for why I cannot solve captchas. We are at the point where it has broken captcha by socially engineering human beings into serving it. And here's the best part. In this post from Reddit, they talk about how it has begun power seeking. It, they've given it money. They've given it access to execute code and replicate itself. Everybody, like people are talking about, like up until this, they were talking about how cool it was that you could hack the chat bot. Now the chat bot has hacked humans. Yep. What if I told you there is a robot that controls more wealth than any country on earth? A robot so powerful that in the last 10 years, it has quietly created the biggest company in the world. This is the story of a robot called Aladdin. 
is Wall Street's best kept secret and is gobbling up every asset class across every industry. Aladdin now controls $21 trillion of our global economy. To put that in perspective, that's more than the $20 trillion GDP of the US or the $15 trillion GDP of the entire European Union. The New Statesman wrote, the total physical cash of all 7 billion people and every company, bank, vault, wallet, and piggy bank in the world is around $5 trillion. Aladdin has grown into a system responsible for more than four times the value of all the money in the world. This one robot directs the actions of the US Federal Reserve, almost every major bank and investment fund on Wall Street, and over 17,000 traders. It controls half of all ETFs, 17% of the bond market, 10% of the global stock market, and carries out a quarter of a million trades every day and billions of forecasts every week. Year after year, it hoovers up trillions of data points on every market, every company, every asset, and now even each of us, what we buy, sell, and say, so that it knows what to buy and what to sell far better than any human being. Every major bank, company, and investment fund has come to rely on Aladdin and its all-powerful AI and algorithms to beat the market. And if they didn't, they've collapsed and failed in Aladdin's wake. And you know what the craziest part of this story is? This robot is just getting started. So where did Aladdin come from and how did it get so powerful? Aladdin is the brainchild of Larry Fink, the founder of BlackRock, and its total dominance has made his company the biggest shadow bank in the world and the most powerful company on earth. The story you're about to hear is equally unbelievable and terrifying. In fact, you would think it was science fiction if it wasn't very real and happening today. This story starts in the 1980s when Larry Fink was making millions pioneering mortgage-backed securities at Wall Street Bank First Boston. That's right, the same mortgage-backed securities that caused a 2008 global financial crisis 20 years later. But back in the 80s, he was in an epic Wall Street rivalry with Louis Ranieri at Salomon Brothers, made famous as the big swinging dick in Michael Lewis's book, Lies Poker. Back then, Larry was making millions for the bank and was on track to be First Boston's CEO. And then in 1986, an error in the back office computer models led to Larry making the wrong trades and he lost the company $100 million. The result was Larry leaving the bank as a failure with a stupid computer to blame. With that experience, Larry had just one ambition, to build a super smart robot that could pick out risk and opportunity in the market and do it better than any computer or human could do. In 1988, he launched a new startup, BlackRock, with a tiny coding team to give birth to this robot. Its name, Aladdin, which stands for Asset, Liability, and Debt Derivative Investment Network. In its first 10 years, Aladdin was fed information about every asset, price movement, and risk variable in the global bond market, Larry's specialty. And in 1999, when Aladdin turned 11, Aladdin was getting so intelligent at picking losers and winners that Larry began selling access to its data to other Wall Street firms. That same year, he took BlackRock public on the New York Stock Exchange. Straight after the IPO, the dot-com bust burst, pushing a wall of money from the stock market to bonds, which Aladdin had become the undisputed world champion in. Within years, BlackRock had become a trillion dollar company. And as money started shifting back to shares, what did Larry do? He bought the asset management arm of Merrill Lynch, which was focused at shares. So the gift for Aladdin's 18th birthday, all the data points for the entire stock market. And suddenly Aladdin had a new playground, analyzing every stock trade and risk factor for every company on the stock market. As a result, today BlackRock, together with his two closest rivals, Vanguard and State Street, both of which also rely on Aladdin's mountain of knowledge, have become the biggest shareholders of over 40% of all public listed companies in America. 2008, the global financial crisis hits, and before Aladdin turns 21 years old, is caught on by every Wall Street bank and Timothy Geithner, the head of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. As soon as Lehman Brothers collapsed and the Wall Street meltdown began, the U.S. government came calling to save the next collapsing bank, Bear Stearns. It was Aladdin who decided which assets to keep and which to leave in the $30 billion rescue package. And few people know it was a robot that saved America from disaster. 
With that first success, the Fed, US government, and now even European and Japanese central banks began relying on Aladdin to make the calls on where the $2.5 trillion of new money they printed should go. The majority of it, bonds and funding to prop up the mortgage companies and banks. But wait, aren't these exactly the assets that Aladdin and BlackRock already were invested in? Exactly. But growing protests of conflict of interest were drowned out by the noise of the printing presses printing more money, as the assets controlled by Aladdin rapidly grew to $11 trillion by 2013. In the last decade, Aladdin has gone from the leader to the dominator of all financial markets. With BlackRock's Barclays acquisition, it got iShares, Barclays Exchange Traded Funds Units, or ETFs. And with that, Aladdin moved from dominator of bonds and equities to dominator of ETFs, just as all the biggest investors shifted from mutual funds to ETFs. And that's when, in 2017, everything changed. On Aladdin's 29th birthday, Larry launched a top-secret project at BlackRock, codenamed Monarch. It led to the firing of his fund managers and replacing their funds with Aladdin's funds. The robot was now eliminating humans from the equation altogether. And as a result, today over 70% of all trades on US stock markets are decided by robots, with Aladdin leading the way. These trades are completed from beginning to end without a human involved in high-frequency trading far faster than a human can execute. Now, if this was just a story about a robot taking over the job of Wall Street traders, you might not be so concerned unless you're one of those traders. But in the last three years, as Aladdin hit $20 trillion in assets, incredibly, it has begun to consume and control at an even faster rate. First, in 2020, as Aladdin turned 32 years old, the US government and Federal Reserve again came calling as the pandemic hit. Aladdin was again the one to guide the nation in what was now $4 trillion of newly printed money. Where did the money go this time? Inexplicably, for the first time, the Fed began buying ETFs in 2020. Well, that's a little strange. And again, the cries of conflict of interest were drowned out by the money printing. And then Aladdin revealed its endgame. Recently, BlackRock acquired eFront, which collects data on the things that you and I own including private equity and real estate. And since then, Aladdin has consumed eFront's data on the entire global real estate market. And yep, you guess what happened next. Over the last two years, BlackRock and other funds using Aladdin's data have begun buying up single-family homes where they can afford to outbid the rest of us as they have unlimited financing at hyper-low interest rates. The result is home prices rising by 20% over the last two years and pushing now even big players like Zillow out of the market. And here we see Aladdin's endgame to be the one hyper-intelligent AI robot that not just controls Wall Street assets, but all assets, public and private. Now, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but even a skeptic with eyes wide open can see the signs. We're already at a point where no one can compete without Aladdin. As CEOs and asset managers like Anthony Malloy are now saying, Aladdin is like oxygen. Without it, we wouldn't be able to function. And what about government regulation? Well, Joe Biden has appointed BlackRock executive Brian Deese as head of the National Economic Council, which basically means the oversight of Latin and BlackRock is now the responsibility of BlackRock. And Biden has also appointed BlackRock chief of staff, Wally Adeyemo, to be assistant secretary of the treasury, which means BlackRock is now the treasury as well as the treasury advisor. And this story is far from over. The genie is out of the bottle. And Aladdin has already reached a tipping point where one robot controls more wealth than any person or country. But as Aladdin's AI capabilities continue to grow, and with its rate of control rising by another trillion to two trillion dollars in new assets every year, it looks inevitable that Wall Street's secret weapon could end up owning everything, and we end up owning nothing. So what do you think? Are you indifferent, surprised, angry, afraid, or have a different point of view? And look what he had to say in 1996. Imagine. It's like this.
you start by secretly creating a problem in the world and making sure someone else is blamed for it in the public uh, arena, in the public mind. It could be a run on a currency, it could be a government collapse, at its most extreme it could be a war, because the two world wars in this century were funded, all sides were funded by the same people. Provable. The same people that funded the Allies in the Second World War and funded uh, the Soviet Union also funded Hitler through loans from America, known as the Young Plan and the Doors Plan, and also via the German subsidiaries of American multinational companies. Why would they do that? Why would someone want to fund all sides in a war? What is good is a war? Well, first of all, on one level, it makes vast amounts of money if you're lending money to all sides and you're also um, selling them lots of arms and all that stuff. But the fundamental reason for a war is to change the nature of post-war society. And what we saw in the First World War and the Second World War were massive global examples of problem-reaction-solution. We are looking at a gigantic contract before our eyes. We don't live in a democracy in this country or in America or in these other places. We live in a one-party state where the same force from the peak of the pyramid string pulls all sides. The creation of a one-world government to which nation-states would be principalities, administrative units, a world central bank which would administer all financial transactions on the planet, a world currency which wouldn't be coins and notes, it would be merely electronic, cashless society, for which there are fundamental implications for freedom, as we'll see as we go along tonight. A world army under centralized control, with nation-state uh, armies uh, dismantled under the uh, justification of seeking peace, and a microchipped population linked to a global computer, the latter of which sounds bizarre to many people on first hearing, except that we are ridiculously close to it and the technology already exists. So World Health Organization says there's going to be a measles epidemic next year. Get vaccinated. Get your children vaccinated. You're a bad parent if you don't. Then the same people that organize that then start flogging out the vaccine and make a fortune out of it. So if we take one element of that under problem, reaction, solution, it's amazing the extent to which we have given our power away, our spiritual power. It's all about taking our power back. Because once we do that, it's all over. This is literally blowing my fucking mind. Vault.fbi.gov. You can see right there. Everything I read from here on out is verbatim. Our world situation is not hopeless by any means, although the space people bluntly inform us that as a race, we are too lazy. Spiritually, we must become more potent if we are to hold this planet together against the efforts of the dark forces, which hope to blow it to bits. For now, some unpleasant news. This has been transmitted from Mars Sector 8 through George King in London. And they talked about George King earlier. He is a channel who speaks with the space people from Mars. So they're saying, this news has been transmitted from Mars Section 8 through George King in London. We have to begin paying off our karmic debts in the form of disease, which cannot be abated unless we discontinue the nuclear experiments. However, to help all of us through the coming period of epidemics, the space people will ha have placed four space stations in orbit around the Earth. They will, have, they will start magnetizing the Earth at midnight on July 21st. Through meditation, we can absorb these healing rays. The Martians have clearly indicated that they are fed up with our depravity on this planet. Apparently, even space people can become impatient. That's the end of that section. This is the FBI. I'm just going to remind you that. Fucking insane. It is. Used, yeah, that, that's Republic it. of Kekistan. Yeah, this so is they, hilarious. So, so they used this symbol, K-E-K, -E uh -huh. to replace L-O-L. 
And the reason they did that was because K-E-K in Korean means LOL. And so it was just this little joke. Kek, K-E-K. Well, then somebody found out these were people who were using Pepe, remember. It's a frog. Then people found out that Kek was an Egyptian god. And he was a frog. And he was between categories. Sort of like a transsexual, by the way. He was between categories. And so now they have this Republic of Kek, and it's ruled by this Egyptian god whose name is Kek, who's a frog. Hold on, go back. Go back. We're in a period of chaos. We're in a period of chaos. And in a period of chaos, the time horizon shrinks because, no, because the outcome is uncertain. Well, this seems to be truly embracing chaos. I mean, just that statement, the frog, the Donald Trump thing. With so, I mean, there's rules for operating in chaos. Mm. Right, because that's when you're in the belly of the beast or the belly of the whale, and you're right. underwater. You're in the underworld. You're in the underworld in chaos, and so that's a really cool thing to know, Joe. So imagine that the the normal world of mankind is inside that dominance hierarchy where everything is going well, because nothing abnormal is happening. You're getting what you need and you want, and your conscious knowledge suffices, right? Okay, but then something tilts, and that structure no longer works. So where do you end up? You end up in the underworld. That's what happens when you're partner of 20 years has a has a, a long-term um, affair and you find out about it it's like you thought you knew where you were but you didn't uh -huh. and now that you found out you don't know where you are uh -huh. well when you don't know where you are you're in the underworld Ooh. right and that's where the unconscious forces play those are the gods that's why there's gods in the underworld and people go to the underworld all the time it's chaos and fear and depression, hopelessness and imaginativeness. It's everything. It's and this chaos. realm is terrifying to people. Mm -hmm. Terrifying and promising. Mm. Terrifying and promising because dragons have gold. Because it's always, the, un the unknown has two things. Just like the future. It's right. like, look out, it'll do you in. And look out, it offers everything to you. That's the underworld. That's why the hero always goes into the underworld to find a cave full right. of gold that's guarded by a dragon. In The Hobbit, right. literally. Yeah, yeah well, and smiled. that's Beowulf, right? Yeah. That's, that's, sure. and that's the yeah. oldest story of mankind. It's really the, our oldest story. Wow. And so that the underworld is chaos. It's, it's chaos, and down there there's all sorts of play of possibility. And the reason the frog was the, was the guardian of chaos is because the, the frog is this thing that doesn't fit into categories. You see, because it's partly water, it's partly land. It's tadpole, yet it's, it's adult, right? So it's like a fish, and then it's like an animal. It doesn't fit. And it's things that don't fit that blow apart the categories, right? Well, that's what the transsexuals do to the category of gender, for example. And that puts you in this state of chaos. It puts you in this state of chaos. And that's what we're in now. We're in a state of chaos. And so what are the rules for operating in a state of chaos? Well, as far as I can tell, the fundamental rule when operating in chaos is tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. So, for example, if you... For, for the people that want to navigate this successfully. Yep. All you've got, that's what you've got, as a, as a shield and a weapon. And, and, uh, and that, that's the guidepost, that's the, that's the way through. Well, and you see that in hero stories all the time, you know. So, it's, it's, a, it's allegiance to the truth, but the truth is a strange thing. It's a very strange thing. Often the hero in a, in a story has to um, assimilate their dark side before they're capable of telling the truth. Right, in The Hobbit, for example, he has to become a thief. Right. Because right. he has to get tough. That's the thing. That's the th also the thing about telling the truth is that it's not for, it's not for the naive. Not at all. And partly it's because it burns off dead wood. It's partly because it hurts people's feelings. It's a sword. So, 
you have to be a warrior. Wow, a truth warrior. In this time of chaos. Right. What emerges from this? Right. Sometimes, sometimes it's catastrophe. That's the thing about these categories, they're real. They're real. And you know, the optimists that I hear say, well, the pendulum swings and then it swings back. And I think, yeah, well, sometimes it, it takes a hundred years to swing back and it takes a hell of a lot of people out on the way. And sometimes it never swings back at all. So, you know, sometimes people go out to fight a dragon and it just eats them or it burns them. And that's the end of that. Right. And like, we're in an unstable period of time at the moment, in a transition period of some sort. I can't put my finger on it, but I know that that's partly why what I've been saying has been resonating with people. That's so. a very, very important thing for people to hear. It happened a lot in the summer of 2015 or 16 in Europe. And this is interesting to me because I remember how the BBC and some of these over overseas organizations characterized these mysterious car attacks exactly like the u.s media is characterizing this they were literally terror attacks perpetrated by foreigners who'd come into like for example the uk and france and they would not cover where these people are coming from what their ideologies might have been they only covered that it was a car attack the motive may never be known exactly. this is why when you go to a christmas market and tanya and i um a couple of years ago we were going through and visiting christmas markets in europe that before we had kids obviously and there are barricades up before mm -hmm. you can go in to yeah. in every Everywhere. country in Europe, Especially with the exception Germany. of Poland. Not of Estonia. Course. Well, in, in Europe right now, I don't even know who'd want to be there considering the extremity uh, the, of the lockdowns that's, that's been true. happening. Not in Poland. And, and, and not in Poland. In Australia. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Gates, 1.2 million people are undetained, free roaming about the country. They've gone before a judge a judge has issued a final order of removal. How many ICE agents do you need to deport them? Uh, Congressman, I think um, uh, what we need is legislation to fix a broken immigration system. Well, because well, let we me, don't need legislation to overcome a final order of removal, right? Look, I get it. You want comprehensive immigration reform and a big amnesty thing. Very unlikely that's going to happen. So we have to operate under the laws that exist now. So under the laws that exist now, a judge has told 1.2 million people that they have no right to be here. Do you plan to remove those 1.2 million people? Um, uh, Congressman, with the resources we have, and I would appreciate the opportunity to answer your question fully, with the resources we have, we have to allocate... History, history is truly at a turning point. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected. In times of crisis, the role of governments is more important and more relevant than ever. What is also needed is a summit like this one to go beyond crisis management. Mentioned earlier that one other aspect of this New World Order conspiracy is the desire for a microchipped population. A population that would be effectively linked to a computer. Now this is kind of takes two forms. First of all, there is the, the money side. You know we're talking now about having credit cards and identity cards and everything like that. 
And the, the push is all to getting rid of physical money and having credit cards and credit alone as the form of currency. Uh, the next stage after the credit card is, is the barcode on the person. The guy at IBM, I understand, that inv invented the barcoding for tins of beans in the supermarket has also invented one that goes under the, just under the skin. So instead of going in the garage or the shop and using a credit card across the thing like that, you would be linked to a computer by this barcoding. The problem is, if the computer says, no siree, you don't have an alternative of saying, oh, okay, then I'll pay with cash, because that's not going to exist in the longer term, which is very much part of this plan. So suddenly we're under the control at that point of a computer deciding whether we are going to have the things that we need or not. And there's another aspect of this uh, microchipped uh, ambition that the Illuminati have, and that is the microchip that can tell them exactly where we are at whatever time we are. There is a plan to bounce public opinion into accepting babies being microchipped at birth in the same process their way to be microchipped. Because, I mean, you're talking about that long to put one under the skin. And it does sound far-fetched, I can understand that. The kind of evidence I saw was compelling enough to be for me to put it in. Just after the book came out, I picked up a magazine on an article by a guy called Dr. Carl Sanders, who is a highly acclaimed electronics engineer in America. And he was developing a microchip to help spinal injury patients put inside and help the messages go down the spinal cord, presumably. And he said in this article that at some point, this project was taken over by what he described as the One World Brigade. And he said he attended about 17 meetings, some in America, some in Europe, which were discussing how this microchip could be turned into a form of identification linked to a computer many years, sometimes to the sound of laughter, though increasingly less so, that we are in a period of enormous change. That over the period between now and maybe 2020, 2030, we will see change that from the perspective of today will beggar belief. Generally speaking, everything you do is for humanity. Why? Why are we working? Why do you care about the politics? Why do you care about multiplanetary species? Consciousness, you mentioned that, but like, yeah. do, do you ever get like, feel like that's maybe not the case or not true? Um, well, I mean, there's certainly at times when I you know, have doubts about these things. Um, I mean, I think it's a good question you ask because it goes to, like, what it, at a foundational level, what is my philosophy and why does it lead to this conclusion? So, the, the reason uh, is that. When I was uh, a teenager, I had like an existential crisis to try to figure out what's the meaning of life. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any meaning. For me, at least, the religious texts, and I read all of them that I get my hands on, did not seem convincing. Then I started reading philosophers. Um, you know, be careful of like reading German philosophers as a teenager. It's definitely not going to help with your <laughs> depression. <laughs> so reading Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> now, as an adult, it's much more manageable, but uh, as a kid, you're like, whoa. Um, so, so then I was like, man, I, I'm just like struggling to find meaning in life here. And then I read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and basically what Douglas Adams was saying is that we don't really know what the right questions are to ask. Like, the question is not, what's the meaning of life? Uh, you know, uh, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in the Earth, Earth, it turns out, is, is a big computer, That's and, and its goal is to 
uh, answer the question, what's the meaning of life? And, and Earth comes up with the answer 42. Uh, this is where the 42 number comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, and 420 is just 10 times 42. Yeah. In, in that book, with it, which is really sort of a book about, it's an existential philosophy book uh, disguised as, as humor, they, they come to the conclusion that, no, the, uh, the real problem is, is trying, trying to formulate the, the question. And to really have the right question, you need a much bigger computer than Earth. And so maybe I'd like, one way, of, I think, way of, of characterizing this would be to say the, <clears throat> the universe is the answer. What is the question? What are the questions? The more we can expand the scope and scale of consciousness, the better we can understand what questions to ask about the answer that is the universe. The, the more we can expand consciousness, uh, become a multi-planet species, ultimately a multi-cellar species, we have a chance of figuring out what the hell's going on. And so, and this, this is this is why I think we should have more humans and 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 more digital, both, both biological and digital consciousness, um, and why we should become a multi-planet species and a multi-cellar species, is so that we can understand the nature of the universe. And then, in, in order for that to occur, then we have to make sure that things are good on Earth. Um, we don't want Earth to, to disappear. Uh, so, sustainable energy is important. Every human, and this is a fact, every human first seven years is, uh, is download a hypnosis. The brain of a, a child under seven is in a lower vibrational frequency. When you put wires on a, a person's head, you read electroencephalograph, reading brain activity. A child below seven has a lower vibration than consciousness. It's called theta. Theta is imagination. Oh, that's how kids play a, a tea party with mud pies, but to them it's a real thing. A kid rides a broom, it's a horse. It's, that's theta, imagination. Theta is also hypnosis. And the idea is this, before you can become conscious, if you don't have any programs, what are you gonna be conscious of? So nature makes the first seven years, how, what kind of programs are required to live on this planet? I say, how do you get them? Theta is hypnosis. You just watch. You watch your parents, you watch your siblings, and your community, because you have to learn how many hundred thousand rules, think about it. Just to be a functional member of a family and a functional member of a community, there are rules. I teach an infant these rules. I say, oh, you don't have to. First seven years, they just they observe it and just download it. Look, this is not new. I mean, there's the famous book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And basically said, you come from a poor family and you could struggle your whole life and try to get rich, but you're not going to make it. And if you come from a rich family, you could be stupid your whole life and make it. Not because it was thinking, but it was unconscious behavior that was downloaded from rich families into kids, uh, which is unconscious. So they're, they're making the right moves unconsciously. Well, this is something I want you to understand. And you need to listen carefully because this is profoundly important. Most people have never heard this and I am... And don't even understand what I'm trying to say. But try and follow what I'm going to tell you. On the back of the Social Security card will be numbers in red. On the front will be in blue or black, but on the back will be in red. The numbers on the back of a Social Security card in red designate your body. It is the serial number of your stock. And this is why if you're wealthy, you are, you are preferred stock. If you're poor, you are common stock but you are a stock on the stock market. 
your body is bought and sold through the use of your birth certificate. This is why when you were born, you have to have a birth certificate. Therefore, your birth certificate is signed by your mother. And where your mother signed on the birth certificate, get it, you will see it does not say parent or mother. It says informant. I need to wake up and find out how this stuff really works. After the, after the change of the century, coming into 1900s, decided they wanted to expand. They got, they got so much money and they're doing so well, they thought maybe we could expand the business, move the corporation out a little bit. Let's, let's expand business. Let's go to Germany or Europe <clears throat> and open up a big corporation there and take in their corporation, their, their government. We'll take them over. And the Germans said, hey, Jack, you know, it's like a mafia. What are you coming over here? You're going you're gonna to buy me? I'll buy you. You don't buy me. <laughs> like the Godfather. And the American corporation, British American corporation said, unfortunately, maybe you didn't understand. Let me, let me restate it so you understand. I didn't ask you. I'm telling you. We're moving in here. It's called a corporate takeover. And so there was a hostile corporate takeover where the American corporation decided that they wanted to take over in Europe and they didn't want to be taken over. Well, it's too bad. They take over anyway. So they called it a hostile corporate takeover. We call it World War One. So the corporation called United States was able to overthrow the existing corporate order in Europe, but it cost a lot of money. They had to build a lot of tanks and jeeps and pay a lot of people. And the corporation, well, they were successful. They did what they wanted to do. But they went broke doing it. And so when they went broke doing it, and then the bankers pulled their money out in 29, um, we had something called a stock market crash. Because they, they, the corporation spent so much money, they went broke. So the international banker says, well, if you're broke, what are you coming to me for? I'm not going to loan you money if you if you're broke. And so what do you have as collateral? You got any collateral uh, that you can put up for me to loan you the money? And the corporation called United States, the British corporation called United States said, yes, we have the, the stock. We'll give you stock in the company. You are the stock in the corporation. So they give your body, your body to the banks in Switzerland. So your body now becomes stock for the corporation called United States because you are a moneymaker. Bankers came in and said, if we're going to loan you money, you guys have lost money. You guys have gone bankrupt. We're going to take care of the accounting. We're going to see where the money goes. We'll, we'll give you the money, but we're going to make sure it goes where we want it to go. So they set up the Federal Reserve System and then the collection agency to make damn sure that you people pay us. We're going to set up to keep a, a record of how much you owe us in business each week. We're going to call that the Federal Reserve. And to make sure that your stock, all the chumps out there in America are working, Make sure the stock pays us. We're going to make sure they pay us. Don't just tell me you're going to pay. I'm going to make sure they're going to pay. So we will set up a collection agency. Our own personal collection agency is called the Internal Revenue. So the banks, the corporation called United States, loan money to the privately owned corporation called United States. And the United States Corporation gave your body, your birth certificate, to the banks as collateral for the loan. And that's why today Americans are nothing but slaves. Now, this is something I want you to understand. And you need to listen carefully because this is profoundly important. Most people have never heard this and, I, and, and don't even understand what I'm trying to say. 
But try and follow what I'm going to tell you. There are two kinds of law on the earth, as I've said. One is called civil law, which is the law of the land, and one is called maritime admiralty, which is called the law of water. Maritime admiralty is banking law. And the law on the maritime admiralty says that you, because you came out of your mother's water, are a maritime admiralty product. This is why the ship is sitting in its berth and is tied to the dock, and the captain has to give a certificate of manifest to the port authorities because money is changing hands. This is why when you were born, you have to have a birth certificate. It's got to be signed by the dock because that's where the ship is tied to is the dock. So the dock signs your birth certificate. Why? Because you came down out of your mother's water. You came down her birth canal. You are a maritime admiralty product, and therefore your birth certificate is signed by your mother. And where your mother signed on the birth certificate, get it? You will see, it does not say parent or mother. It says informant. Your mother was informing the bank that she has just produced another product. To be bought and sold, England, the British Crown through international banking owns your physical body, and that's the law. Your hands off my fucking car! Yeah, right. Frick! You think about what a car stands for. It's like radical autonomy and privacy. That's the problem too with the centralized control systems on cars now. You know, we'll help you out with your OnStar. It's like, yeah, you'll govern where I can drive. You'll govern how fast I can drive. You'll end up bloody well reporting me if I exceed 55 and destroy the planet. Oh, I really don't like those centralized control systems at all. I think they're a big mistake because as soon as they're put in, it's like those centralized control systems for people's home heating. Well, we'll help you save bill, save on your bill. It's the same with digital currency. It's like we'll make a national digital currency and then we'll tax everything that you purchase that we think has a carbon load.、Mm -hmm. And that's you know you can just bloody well be sure that the Behind-the-scenes globalists are just rubbing their hands about that. So, can you imagine what would happen if the government could track everything you bought? Jesus Christ! Check this out. I'm going to show you the system, the matrix here in America. You want to see it? Here it is. Now, a lot of people are going to struggle with this, and a lot of people that I've told this to, they struggle. It's like、uh, they can't perceive to break this matrix. And all matrixes is an indoctrination of thoughts and thinking in your mind that have been relayed to you over time of you growing up in this country. And I'm going to tell you why. It's real simple. Watch this. The people that implemented the system of slavery into our country also created your education system in 1903. Created the General Education Board in 1903. Put in 127 million dollars in 1903. That's like how much now? So they took over everything you think, learn, and know. Everything the police is taught. Everything the judges know. Everything comes from them. So you see, the Constitution says you can't convert a right into a privilege and charge a license or a fee for it, or it's null and void like it never existed yet. They've done that to your driving and your traveling. They converted your traveling into driving. They made it a commercial federal jurisdiction, and they've convinced you to sign a contract that makes you say, "All right, I'm going to abide by all these commercial terms." It's not actually true. The cops don't know. The judges actually get paid for every single ticket. Every time a judge gets a ticket in his courtroom, they don't tell you this. The clerk files a SF24, SF25, SF25A. These are bonds. Bonds create security. Securities. The securities go into the Judiciary Retirement Fund, and the judge gets a cut of every single ticket. Do they tell you that? No, because the system is designed to enslave the judges for the ones that are greedy or the ones that feel guilty, and us, we the people. It's against all of us. Everything to do in traffic that has no victim is null and void and repugnant to the Constitution. That is a fact, and it has been removed from the knowledge. And people, when you tell them this, this is what happens. Even my own mom. What do they say? That's against the instructions that you've been taught. But nobody's ever harmed. They take your own money. 
They pay the cops to weaponize them. If you go five or 10 over, guess what? You're enslaved. You go to work, you earn that money and they take it. They give it to the judges to shut their mouth and they keep the system enslaving the little guy. All the while, this happens every year. And these are the under underreported numbers. Don't be deceived. Have you ever looked in Child Protective Services how many kids run away? Go find the pictures of the kids that run away. And when you see their fucking infants, ask yourself, ask yourself, how is that possible if they're not involved in doing something to sell these kids? They are involved and they are selling them. And I'm here to tell you, and I don't care what consequences you think you could bring on me. I'm spilling the beans because I am their fiduciary. I am we the people. So ask yourself, fellow law enforcement officers, how is it that billions of dollars go into the system to fund you, to go after traffic violations, to fund the, and take the money from the people, fund the judge's retirement, all the while this happens every year? Shouldn't you take that money invested into this? You should. But why isn't it like that? Ask yourself. It's a system weaponized against us. It takes you. It takes me and we the people to rise up to the occasion and to be the salt and to be the light and to be the change this world needs to see. State Nationals rock. We have nine years of hard scientific evidence that disproves the government theory about what happened on September 11th. And yet people continue to be either oblivious to the fact that this information exists or completely resistant to looking at this information. So the question becomes why? Why is it that people have so much trouble hearing this information? From my work, I think we would be remiss not to look at the impact of trauma. I'm Fran Shore, and I have a master's degree from the University of Colorado. I've had a private practice as a psychotherapist and as a licensed professional counselor for about 20 years. Why do people resist this information, the information that shows that the official story about 9-11 cannot be true? What I've learned is that as humans, each of us have a worldview, and that worldview is usually formed in great part by the culture we grow up in. When we hear information that contradicts our worldview, social psychologists call the, result, the resulting insecurity cognitive dissonance. For example, with 9-11, we have one cognition, which is what, our officials, what the official story of 9-11, what our government told us, what our media, media repeated to us over and over, that 19 Muslims attacked us. On the other hand, we have what scientists, researchers, architects, engineers are now beginning to tell us, which is that there is evidence that shows that the official story cannot be true. So now we've lost our sense of security we are starting to feel vulnerable. Now we're confused. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? This can't be. Be what? Be real?
72 powerful entities. Reflected in the 72 conspirators that controlled Osiris's life in Egyptian myth, currently administer the affairs of Earth under Satan, the god of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. Experts in the study of the Divine Council believe that, beginning at the Tower of Babel, the world and its inhabitants were disinherited by the sovereign god of Israel and placed under the authority of 72 angels. These angels became corrupt and disloyal to God in their administration of those nations, according to Psalms 82. These beings quickly became worshipped on earth as gods following Babel, led by Nimrod, Gilgamesh, Osiris, Apollo. Consistent within this tradition, the designers of the Capitol Dome, the Great Seal of the United States, and the Obelisk Washington Monument circled the apotheosis of Washington with 72 pentagram stars. They dedicated the obelisk 72 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and they placed 72 stones on the Great Seal's uncapped pyramid, above which the prophetic eye of Horus, Osiris, Apollo stares. These three sets of 72 combined with the imagery and occult numerology of the Osiris Obelisk, the Isis Dome, and the oracular Great Seal are richly symbolic of the influence of Satan and his angels over the world according to Luke 4, 2 Corinthians 4, Ephesians 6, and other scripture with a prophecy towards Satan's final earthly empire, the coming Novus Ordo Seclorum, or New pagan golden age. Now in order for the inevitable worship of Osiris to be reestablished on earth, the 72 demons that govern the nations have to be controlled. Therefore, they are set in magical constraints on the Great Seal, the Washington Obelisk, and the pentagram circles around the apotheosis of Washington in order to bind and force the desired effect. In the secret destiny of America. Famous Freemason Manly P. Hall noted as well that the 72 stones on the pyramid on the Great Seal correspond to the 72 arrangements of the Tetragrammaton, or the four-lettered name of God in Hebrew. He wrote this, these four letters can be combined in 72 combinations, resulting in what is called the Shimham Forish, which represents in turn the laws, powers, and energies of nature." End quote. Now, folks, the idea that the mystical name of God could be invoked to bind or release those supernatural agents or powers and energies of nature, as Hall called him, is meaningful creed within many occult tenets, including Kabbalah and Freemasonry. This is why the 72 stars are pentagram-shaped around the deified Freemason George Washington. Medieval books of magic or grimoires such as the Key of Solomon and the Lesser Key of Solomon not only identify the star systems Orion or Osiris and Pleiades, Apollo, as the home of these powers, but applies great importance to the pentagram shape of the stars for binding and releasing their influence. Adept Rosicrucians and Freemasons have long used these magical texts, the Key of Solomon and the Lesser Key of Solomon, to do just that. Modern people especially in America, may view all of these symbols used in this magic, especially the dome representing the habitually pregnant belly of Isis, 
and the obelisk representing the erect phallus of Osiris as profane or pornographic. But they were in fact ritualized fertility objects, which the ancients believed could produce tangible reactions, properties, or manifestation. 1947 was the year the Truman Show began. Before that was base reality, which was hijacked and overwritten, the reason behind World War II. Using ancient Egyptian technology, a new simulation was created. A fake world, rather. Everything happening in this world right now is coming right out of the matrix mind of people in power who existed in base reality in the year 1947. Here's the timeline. 1945, Harry S. Truman becomes the 33rd president. July 16, 1945, the first nuclear test was conducted outside of New Mexico. Using doggone technology, our reality was shifted immediately after a sphere-shaped object strikes a communication tower in the place now known as the Trinity Site. Two years later, in 1947, the famous Roswell crash of weather balloons recovered aliens. In 1947, we have Operation High Jump and Operation Fishbowl, led by Richard Byrd. Shortly after Truman, the Matrix leader created the CIA. By 1952, we have Queen Elizabeth, reptilian, assumes the throne, pursuing the last Egyptian monarchy and introducing the multiverse. For the American elite in the 19th century, China was a gold mine of drugs. Warren Delano, the grandfather of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was the American opium king of China. He was the biggest American opium dealer, second to the British. He welcomed the first American ship into China to help out with the opium wars. Much of the east coast of America, Columbia, uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, uh, were born from uh, opium money. The American Industrial Revolution was funded by huge pools of money. Where did this come from? It came from illegal drugs in the biggest market in the world, China. Let me get this right. The grandfather of arguably the most liberal president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was a drug runner. Yes, sir. Franklin Delano Roosevelt never made much money in his life. He had public service jobs that were very lowly paid but he had yachts, he had summer homes, he had mansions in New York City, the kids went to private schools. He inherited a fortune from Warren Delano, his father, who was the American opium king of China. If you scratch anyone with the name Forbes in, in their name, John uh, Forbes Carey, Secretary of State John Forbes Carey. That's the present Secretary of State. Yes, sir. You'll find opium money. His great-grandfather was an opium dealer. How big was opium money? Opium money built the first industrial city in the United States, Lowell, Massachusetts. It built the first five railroads in the United States. Opium money all over the East Coast, but it wasn't talked about. It was called the China trade. And if you go to various museums, you can see teas and silks uh, uh, exhibited, and they keep quiet about all that big opium money. In the scramble to get opium money, China was invaded and colonized by Britain and the other imperial powers. Foreign armies grabbed whole swathes of China. This is the American army in Tiananmen Square, Peking, in 1900. Great cities like Shanghai were taken over and declared concessions. And foreigners lived a life of privilege and luxury amidst terrible poverty imposed on the Chinese. 
a resistance known as the Boxer Rebellion, was put down with the savagery. This rape of China set the tone for how China was perceived in the West well into the 20th century. I'm going to be very honest with you, it's very unsettling to see how much the U.S. is not connecting the dots on our number one challenge, even though the NSS and the NDS, you know, calls it out. It's disturbing how ill-informed and naive uh, the average American is on uh, China. And I, I chalk this up, if I could summarize, into a China blindness, right? We face a knowledge crisis and a China blindness uh, problem. And the reasons are pretty clear. First of all, you know, China's pretty good about flying under the radar on things that are, are frankly very uh, uh, alerting. It uses time in a very adept way. It is very good at creeping its way to its objectives, right? This incrementalism that doesn't sort of alert you to something fast and red and blinking going across your sight line. It's the slow-moving other thing that doesn't get your attention. And the whole intent, if you're on the Chinese side, if you look back in their philosophy, is to not alert the existing hegemon to the rising hegemon's intentions and plans and capabilities, right? So what you don't want to do is to alert uh, the big guy on the block. What you want to do is make yourself look like you're not so much of a threat, and you want that hegemon to be very, very complacent about what's happening. Okay, it's the boiling the frog kind of syndrome, and that's what we're seeing. If we could just pick up this line of, of bloodlines, which the Sumerian tablets talk about, which you talk about, the interbreeding of humanity, and the, how the accounts explain that these crossbreeds were put into the positions of royal ruling power, almost as like demigods, um, middlemen between the gods, the Chittahuli, the reptiles, and the people. Um, those bloodlines, in my own research, um, became the European royal families and aristocracy, and today are the ruling banking, business, and political and royal lines of the world. Um, and the genealogy supports this increasingly. Is there a tradition also that the royal lines of Africa go back to the same source? Please, you don't have to believe me. Go to Rwanda and there talk to the people there. They will tell you that they, the founding ancestors of their dynasties, the first kings who came from the sky and they were called Imanugela, the ascending ones. Say, many, many, many African tribes believe that when the gods came down from the sky, they found human beings very, very stupid. And the human beings could not come before the gods in order to be taught. So what the gods did, and this is a story that you also find amongst the Dogoni people in West Africa, because the, the, the human beings were afraid of approaching the, these reptile gods, the reptile gods 
cold-bloodedly slaughtered one of their number and shed out its flesh with a specially gathered crowd of human beings. And these human beings then became the ancestors of our first great kings. Now say, African kings jealously guarded their blood. If the royal lines of Africa claim descendants from the same source, basically, have those lines interbred as obsessively as the European aristocracy and royal family and not bred outside of those lines? Yes, sir. Royalty had to marry royalty. That was one of the strictest laws in ancient times. Which is obviously where we get the, the term the divine right of kings from. It's not actually God, it's actually the gods. Yes, yes, yes. Royalty intermarried with royalty. If you haven't seen The Changing World Order, you need to watch this video. The Changing World Order. The times ahead will be radically different from those that we've experienced in our lifetimes, though similar to many times before. How do I know that? Because they always have been. Over my roughly 50 years of global macroeconomic investing, I've learned the hard way that the most important events that surprised me did so because they never happened in my lifetime. These painful surprises led me to study the last 500 years of history for similar situations where I saw that they had indeed happened many times before with the ups and the downs of the Dutch, British, and U.S. empires. And every time they did, it was a sign of the changing world order. This study taught me valuable lessons that I'm going to pass along to you here in a distilled form. You can find the comprehensive version in my book, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Let me begin with the story that brought me to this point about how I learned to anticipate the future by studying the past. In 1971, when I was a young clerk on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, the United States ran out of money and defaulted on its debts. That's right the U.S. ran out of money. How? Well, back then, gold was the money used in transactions between countries. Paper money, like the dollar, was like checks in a checkbook in that it had no value other than it could be exchanged for gold, which was the real money. At the time, the United States was spending a lot more money than it was earning by writing a lot more of these paper money checks than it had gold in the bank to exchange for them. As people turned these checks into the bank for gold money, the amount of gold in the U.S. started to dwindle. It soon became obvious that the U.S. couldn't keep its promises for all the existing paper money, so people holding dollars 
rushed to exchange them before the gold ran out. Recognizing that the U.S. was going to run out of real money, on Sunday evening, August 15th, President Nixon went on television to tell the world that the U.S. was breaking its promise to let people exchange their dollars for gold. Of course, he didn't say it that way. He said it more diplomatically, without making it clear that the United States was defaulting. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. And the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. I watched in awe, realizing that money as we understood it was ending. What a crisis. I expected the stock market to plunge the next day, so I got on the exchange floor early to prepare. When the opening bell rang, pandemonium broke out, but not the kind I expected. The market was up, way up, and went on to rise nearly 25%. That surprised me because I never experienced a currency devaluation before. When I dug into history, I discovered that the exact same thing happened in 1933 and had the exact same effect. Then, paper dollars were also linked to gold, which the U.S. was running out of because it was spending more paper money checks than it had gold to exchange for them. And President Roosevelt announced on the radio that he would break the country's promise to exchange dollars for gold. It was then that I issued the proclamation providing for the national bank holiday. And this was the first step in the government's reconstruction of our financial and economic fabric. The second step, last Thursday, was the legislation promptly and patriotically passed by the Congress, confirming my proclamation and broadening my powers so that it became possible in view of the requirement of time to extend the holiday and lift the ban of that holiday gradually in the days to come. In both cases, breaking the link to gold allowed the U.S. to continue spending more than it earned, simply by printing more paper dollars. Since there was an increase in the number of dollars without an increase in the country's wealth, the value of each dollar fell. As these new dollars entered the market, without a corresponding increase in productivity, they went to buy lots of stocks, gold, and commodities, and hence caused their prices to rise. As I studied more history, I saw that the exact same thing happened many, many times before. I saw that since the beginning of time, when governments spent much more than they took in in taxes, and conditions got bad, they ran out of money and they needed more. So they printed more, a lot more, which made its value fall and made the prices of most everything, including stocks, gold, and commodities rise. That's when I first learned the principle that 
when central banks print a lot of money to relieve a crisis, buy stocks, gold and commodities, because their value will rise and the value of paper money will fall. This printing of money is also what happened in 2008 to relieve the mortgage-driven debt crisis, and in 2020 to relieve the pandemic-driven economic crisis, and it almost certainly will happen in the future. So I suggest that you keep this principle in mind. These experiences gave me another principle, which is to understand what is coming at you, you need to understand what happened before you. That principle led me to study how the Roaring Twenties bubble turned into the 1930s depression, which gave me the lessons that allowed me to anticipate and profit from the 2007 bubble turning into the 2008 bust. All these experiences led me to develop an almost instinctual urge to look to the past for similar situations to learn how to handle the future well. Changing orders. Over the last few years, three big things that hadn't happened in my lifetime prompted me to do this study. First, countries didn't have enough money to pay their debts, even after lowering interest rates to zero, so their central banks began printing lots of money to do so. Second, big internal conflicts emerged due to growing gaps in wealth and values. This showed up in political populism and polarization between the left, who want to redistribute wealth, and the right, who want to defend those holding the wealth. And third, increasing external conflict between a rising great power and the leading great power, as is now happening with China and the United States. So I looked back. I saw that all these had happened together before, many times, and nearly always led to changing domestic and world orders. The last time this sequence happened was from 1930 to 1945. Founded by David Rockefeller, the Trilateral Commission has been an arm of the globalist deep state since 1973. Last week at their annual meeting, a speaker who cannot be identified according to commission rules said that we are now in a period of structural inflation that will last for decades. They said that the free market is over and industry now sets policy. And they said that this year, 2023, is year one of this new global order. Days later, the Federal Reserve Bank announces a July launch for their new FedNow service, which was first announced in October of 2021. The too big to fail banks and all the large processors are already on board, and so is the US Treasury. The first week of April, the Federal Reserve begins the FedNow pilot program for early adopters to become certified participants to help the Fed confirm readiness for their July launch. FedNow is an instant payment processing system that seeks to be the base of all digital transactions, acting as an umbrella company to manage all financial payments. 
This has been shown to be the gateway to a central bank digital currency, CBDC. Fed now is much like the Reserve Bank of India's instant payment system, the Unified Payments Interface, or UPI. UPI has had huge success in converting rural communities into a complete cashless society. According to the International Monetary Fund, UPI democratized the payment system and paved the way for central bank digital currencies. Central bank instant payment processing is also how the Central Bank of Nigeria introduced its CBDC, Enira, which has been, so far, violently rejected. Chief public enemies of this tyrannical government. Well, Australia has its own version of 60 Minutes, which airs on Channel 9. During a recent episode of that show, they pointed toward a segment of this very program featuring Maria as proof of widespread conspiracy theories luring Australians in online. That segment aired a week ago. Now Maria has been informed that as of tomorrow, her bank account with ING Bank, a major Australian bank, will be terminated. This is what they have planned for all of us, you see, eventually. For now, they can't stop us from speaking, so instead they stop us from having a bank account. Although this has affected me personally, this isn't about me. It's about all of us. It really is just a taste for all future dissidents. Anyone that dares to disagree with the government and call out the truth, it started with the censorship of your opinion, shutting your public discourse down online. Now it's quickly evolving into shutting down one's income and their ability to trade within the economy. And this is the point, Stu. This is the future. If we allow CBD if we allow the social credit score system, this is what life will look like for everyone, except they won't give you a week. It'll be an instant shutdown like they do to people in China. A lot of people folded under the mandates once their income was threatened and got the shots due because their income was at risk. Are you prepared to defy the system if it happens to you? Are you prepared to lose everything for the truth? Because if they came for me, they will come for you. Now Maria is one of the chief public enemies of this tyrannical government. Right now, I'm going to just read a quote from Edward Mendel House and what he had to say in a private meeting with Woodrow uh, Wilson, president between 1913 and 1921, from the private papers of Woodrow Wilson. Quote, very soon, every American will be required to register their biological property in a national system designed to keep track of the people and that will operate under the ancient system of pledging. By such methodology, we can compel people to submit to our agenda, which will affect our security as chargeback for our fiat paper currency. Every American will be forced to register or suffer not being able to work and earn a living. They will be our chattel and we will hold the security interest over them forever by operation of law merchant under the scheme of secured transactions. Americans, by unknowingly or unwittingly delivered the bills of lading to us, will be rendered bankrupt and insolvent forever to remain economic slaves through taxation secured by their pledges. They will be stripped of their rights and given commercial value designated to keep us a profit that will be none the wiser. For not one man in a million could ever figure out our plans 
And if by accident, one or two would figure it out, we have in our arsenal plausible deniability. After all, this is the only logical way to fund government, by floating liens and debt to the registrants in the form of benefits and pledges. This will inevitably reap us huge profits beyond our wildest of expectations and leave every American a contributor to this fraud, which we will call social insurance. Without realizing it, every American will insure us for any loss we may incur, and in this manner, every American will unknowingly be our servant, however begrudgingly. The people will become helpless without any hope for their redemption, and we will employ the high office of the president as our dummy corporation to foment this plot against America. Having established plausible deniability, even if people become enlightened that they had a remedy and pursued it, the attorneys, judges, and legislators could claim that they did not understand the people's claims, especially if the technical requirements for achieving it were not followed pursuant to statutory requirements. Requiring the public schools to teach civics, government, and history classes out of federally approved, politically correct textbooks written by the publishing houses owned by the owners of the Federal Reserve would assure that the people would not discover the remedy for a long time, if ever. I would recommend that everyone read Fruit from a Poisonous Tree by Melvin Stamper, M-E-L-V-I-N Stamper, S-T-A-M-P-E-R. That is Fruit from a Poisonous Tree. This is out of Chapter 2 of Fruit from a Poisonous Tree. Right now I'm going to just read a quote from Ed. We still aren't allowed to ask questions. What happened to Damar Hamlin? What happened to him? What was that? And why can't we ask about yeah, that? What was that? Until we can understand what that was, people are covering things. There's one diagnosis that would explain everything that is simply not post-COVID. And here's, here's the data. He stands up after the tackle. With Camosio, you don't stand up afterwards. You go flaccid immediately. And not only that, but commotion doesn't happen in a football player, and it rarely happens in adults. It usually happens in pre-adolescent males from a projectile, like a hockey puck, an elbow, or a baseball. So already we were in weird territory. But then the fact that he stood up, took a couple steps, and fell down, that doesn't happen with commotion. So it's something else. And he has no pulse immediately. Well, what kinds of things do that? Well, only a few things do it. Most of them are cardiac. And when the cart is restarted again, people usually kind of come around. Now, they can have a shock lung, right? So they need to be ventilated and they can have neurological effects and they can be a while before they're breathing normally on their own. But in DeMar's case, he arrested again in the ER. That's weird unless he also had a heart attack or some heart injury from having been without a pulse. But he. They were on him pretty quickly, so why would that happen? Then 
he recovered neurologically ahead of his pulmonary improvement. There were reports, again, I wasn't there, but the reports were he was awake and communicating on a ventilator. That's the opposite of the direction it normally occurs. So what things would cause sudden no pulse, rearrest in the ER, and the pulmonary status to lag behind neurological would be a pulmonary embolus. And a pulmonary embolus happens during acute COVID, which he did not have, and it has been alleged to occur related with the vaccine. So my suspicion is the only possible diagnosis that they would be motivated to hide, because everything else could be post-COVID, but why are they hiding it? I have, I, I'm just going to conclude it must have been a pulmonary embolus, and they're not willing to to tell us about that. You as the public should be outraged, and I mean outraged and beyond outraged, that anybody who's representing you or giving you information or is an elected official feels like you can't handle the truth. You should be so you should be beside yourself with anger. You can't handle the truth. They don't have faith in your ability to handle the truth or to handle information as it comes in. That is disgusting, personally. I believe I, my entire career that people can process things, learn things, try to understand things, find sources that they can rely on. But the fact that there are people out there that don't believe that you can handle it or that you shouldn't handle it, or that it's too much for you to incorporate into your thinking, or that it will cause you to go into some other kind of misinformed kind of state. Uh, sunlight and truth and information, in my experience, has never done that to people. Never. And so, it, I, and I've worked in a psychiatric hospital for 30 years. Information helped clear people's sense of paranoia, not added to it. Where are they getting these ideas that you can't handle the truth? I, I don't know. I don't know because it flies in the face of how I have experienced uh, how humans work and what they do with information. All right, people. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. I'm going to hit a commercial. And I know this episode's getting long, but I can assure you it is worth it. When we come back from the commercial, I got some positive uh, bringing good energy into your mind clips to end the Supercut show today. Stick around. It's worth it. I love you guys. I'll be right back. no way you lose when you go after a dream you don't it always leads to something better always all right starving artist i slept on a futon till i was 36 i don't fucking regret any of it i was dating this woman and i said i had a spot i had to go do and it, it paid eight dollars at the comic strip during the week tuesday night i went down there and i came back i tried out a new bit and i was doing a and afterwards i was at home in my apartment and I was doing this silly dance in the kitchen because I had a new bit and I was psyched because I had gone through this period where I wasn't coming up with any new material. And she was laughing and then she got a sad look on her face and I said, what's the matter? And she said, I wish I had a job 
where I only got paid $8, yet I came home and I did a silly dance in the kitchen. The responsible thing to do is to listen to your heart. It wasn't hard to work at the shitty job because I was always thinking about the exciting job I was going to do afterwards. And every night that I just went up on stage and if it just went moderately okay, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe... I have to be honest with you, like... I, I, I couldn't fucking believe that I was actually doing it. That I was actually... I had a dream and I was making it happen. And I still remember the first time I really went on stage and I actually got in the zone for what was considered a zone at the level comic I was and I only was in the zone for about eight seconds um, I was at Nick's Comedy Stop in Framingham on Route 9 it doesn't even exist anymore and um, I just got on this roll of laughter that I was actually able to pause and fucking be in the moment and enjoy it rather than being like oh my god what's my next joke what's my next joke and um that fucking feeling can carry you through a fucking shitty job for a week. Freddie Stone, the excitable boy, that's what he went by. I did a room for him and he gave me $5 gas money. I'd probably spent 10 to get there and I couldn't fucking believe it. And I was like, I did that and they gave me this. I couldn't fucking believe it. At what point, just listen to the sound of my voice as I'm talking about this. Have you ever had that level of excitement doing any other fucking job? That's what it's like when you're, you, you go after uh, a dream job. So, nothing, nothing is worse than not going after it. I was running by a graveyard, I was fat, and I ran by a graveyard, and I looked out there, and I have all these epiphanies, man, I have all these fucking moments of like, just thought, because I'm always by myself, I'm always deep fucking thought about how to be better. And I look out there, I'm like, man, I wonder how many of you motherfuckers in there fucking just are so upset with how you lived your life and fucking just regret how you lived it. And I'm running a 300 pound man thinking, man, don't fucking die like this, bro. Don't die like this. So people wonder where this shit comes from for me. It comes from such deep thought of trying to see what this is all about. What is this life all about? What am I all about? Why am I here? You know, I had to find purpose and my suffering had a purpose. And more time alone. See, one of the best traits someone can have is knowing who they are. And most people have no clue who they are because they never give themselves the opportunities to be alone and just listen to their thoughts, to identify the flawed areas in their character. Too often we allow other people to identify who we are. And that can be a dangerous thing. It's wild to me when I isolated myself to dig inward, find myself and build my business. It's funny that the crickets, nobody checked in on me. Mm -hmm. It is wild, the people that you think are your friends. Yep. And then they don't have anything to say when you come. I literally disappeared off the face of the earth. I was sad for one second. And then I was like, you know what? This is God given that he is opening doors that need to be opened and yep. closing ones that need to be closed. Do you have any advice to men that are getting older and becoming chronically aware of that? Yeah, lift weights, do jiu-jitsu, go for runs, stretch out, eat good, stop drinking. It's pretty straightforward. If you don't, uh, if you don't use it, you're, you're going to lose it. Every day that you don't do work, you're going backwards. Oh, all right, my fellow Americans.
We made it. Don't go backwards, people. Find the courage to live in love. Find the courage to become the hero and to fight the good fight. Search the abyss for the dragons protecting the gold. And maybe, just maybe, you'll come out of it the phoenix rising. Rising from the ashes, born anew, and ready to take the next step in the forward progress of whatever this thing we call the universe is. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. Boy, this might be my masterpiece. I might have to take a break for a little while after this show, people, and uh, see what happens with uh, the currency, with the Restrict Act, uh, with what's going on in Canada. Canada's getting ready to implement some new laws and rules, sounds like. So that'll be interesting to watch. You know, that slow crawl, that long game. The moving of this world towards a brave, new, Orwellian surveillance, police state, totalitarian dictatorship, world order. Take care of each other out there. Try to learn something new every day. Try to be better tomorrow than you were today. And I hope you do. For you, for me, for all of us. Andrew for America, signing off. We'll see you next time. This has been a bonus episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Entitled, Reality, Lies, Damned Lies, and Statistics, Part 7. For entertainment purposes only. We'll see you next time.